Crown reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread God's love to one more person. Well, about a week ago, after they were, I think they were redoing the gym floor for about the eighth week in a row at that point. I mean, this is so long ago, the highs were in the 90s, like it was so long ago. Uh, back at the beginning of August, we started two things. We started a series of sermons on the biblical book Philippians. We're calling that Rooted in Joy. And we started to ask for three-year pledges to buy land on South Main Street so that our church family can do ministry in this community for generations. We call that campaign Rooted. Today, all these many weeks later, I want to wrap up Rooted in Joy, and I want to give you an update on where we are in Rooted. And I have debated which order to do that in, but I'm going to do Rooted in Joy first. We're going to wrap up Rooted in Joy first, and then I'll tell you kind of how we're doing in Rooted. So if this is your first week with us, I want to give you the main idea of our series on the book of Philippians that we've called Rooted in Joy. And again, I emphasize this summary is only for people who this is your first time here. The summary is, I can be rooted in joy now because of my relationship with God through Jesus, because of the people God has placed in my life, because of the work that Jesus is doing in me and the work that Jesus is doing through me. Because of these things, I can be rooted in joy now. We often think of joy as something out there. I'll have joy once I get through this. Joy is always just a little bit beyond my grasp. But the book of the Bible called Philippians is going to flip this thinking on its head. And it says, no, you and I can be rooted in joy now. Philippians was written by Paul. Paul writes this book from prison, from the clink, as my cellmates used to say. I have made that joke every week, as promised. <laughs> so he writes this book from prison, and even though he writes from prison, he writes the book about joy, joy now. Joy is a present reality, rooted in joy now. We want to look today at the final chunk of Philippians, starting in chapter 4, verse 10, what Katie read for us earlier. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul is referencing here that the church family in Philippi, the Philippians, had collected some money and sent it to him as a gift. Now, I don't know if Paul had a brochure like, like we made a brochure for Rooted. Don't know if Paul made a brochure. But we know that he had a need, he had an opportunity, and the people in Philippi learned about it. And in fact, this is the reason we have the book of the Bible called Philippians. They wanted to further God's work through giving to Paul's ministry. So the generosity of these early Christians in Philippi is what gives us this book. They want to further God's work through Paul's ministry. They send him a gift Paul receives the gift, even though he's under house arrest in Rome. It is such an encouragement to him that he writes them a letter, a letter about joy, a letter that we now call Philippians. Do you see the lasting power of generosity? Do you see how the generosity of a few people has outlasted the decadence of empires? 
I mean, at this point, ancient Rome is a tourist attraction. And Philippians continues to change lives. Small gifts trusted into Jesus' hands can change things. Verse 11 says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, Paul's just being honest here. He's saying, I'm not saying thank you because I need you to send more money. You know that like those sad puppy dog eyes that say, I know you just fed me, but Paul's saying, I'm not doing those sad puppy dog eyes. I really just want to say thank you for the gift that you sent me. And the reason he can do this, he writes, is that he has learned how to be content. Key word, learned. Contentment is something that you and I must learn. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, there's that word again, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So up until Paul's arrest, Paul had been going around the Mediterranean and he'd been living out his faith. He'd been sharing the good news of Jesus, the good news that you and I don't have to live separated from God through Jesus Christ, putting our faith in Jesus. We can live eternally reconciled to God. So Paul is living out his faith. He's sharing the good news about Jesus. He's showing kindness to those who are struggling, to the poor, to the overlooked, to the vulnerable. He's doing what God has asked him to do. He's doing what God asks all of us to do. And because of his faithfulness to God, he has experienced great things. And because of his faithfulness to God, he has experienced hard things. His heart has been full and his wallet has been empty. He, he has been received with love by new Christians and he has been run out of town by people who don't like his preaching. Paul's point is, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I am trying to live out my faith in what I say and what I do. And sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's hard. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm trying to live out my faith in what I say and what I do, and sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's hard. Walking on God's path is sometimes the most fulfilling thing imaginable. And sometimes walking on God's path is the most difficult thing imaginable. Now, walking on God's path, following Jesus, walking in His footsteps, it's always a good thing. And it's sometimes easy and wonderful, and it's sometimes hard and can become discouraging. So what is it that God wants us to be doing? Well, I don't have enough time to answer that question fully. What is it that God wants us to be doing? But, but I could give you some highlights, sort of start at the basics. What does God want us to do? God wants us to live a life that points people to Him. God wants your life, God wants my life to say, look at what God is like. Look at what God can do. Look at the turnaround God can bring about. If you are married, God wants you to be a good husband or wife, to be kind and faithful to your spouse. 
If you're a parent, God wants you to love and discipline your children towards maturity. God wants you to invest in your friendships, to love your friends well and deeply. God wants you to work diligently at your job. God wants you to be honest and treat people fairly. And whatever money you earn, to use it for things more than just yourself. Right? Now, certainly take care of your own needs, but also remember there's things in the world bigger than you. God wants you to honor your parents, to treat them with respect, even if you cannot endorse everything about them. God wants you to love the people around you. God wants you to care for people in poverty. And all of this so that you and I will live a life that points people to God. Now, sometimes each of those things I just said are easy and wonderful and fulfilling. And sometimes all of those things I just said are going to be a struggle. And it's going to be difficult to walk in God's way. Paul's point is that when it gets hard, he doesn't give up. When it gets hard, he doesn't run away or he doesn't just do the easy stuff. Paul has learned, there's the key word, learned the secret of contentment. And here is the secret of contentment. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That is a very important verse of the Bible. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I feel like I should write that verse down somewhere where I'll remember it. On my, on my shoes? That's a great idea. In fact, now that you bring it up, some years ago, there was a gentleman who played basketball at Davidson. Let me see if I want to make sure I get his name right. <laughs> Stephen Curry. <laughs> Steph somewhat famously writes the first part of this verse on his shoes. In fact, he uses an older translation because I guess he's an old-fashioned guy. He writes, I can do all things. That was the old translation, I can do all things who, through him who gives me strength, or I can do all this through him who gives me strength. But he writes on his shoes, verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13, the secret of contentment. I can do all this, or I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The point being, Jesus Christ will give you the strength to do what God has asked you to do. Whether it is easy or hard at the current moment, Jesus Christ will give you the strength to do what God has asked you to do. And this is the secret of contentment that Paul learned. I see clearly, at least to some extent, I see clearly part of what God wants me to do. And to the extent I see it clearly, I keep relying on Jesus to give me the strength to do it. Now, I love this about God that God wants something for your life, that God wants something for my life. God doesn't want us to just go through the motions th thinking that this is all meaningless, your job is meaningless, the work of your day is meaningless, your relationships are meaningless, your home life is meaningless, the, your studies are meaningless, you're just putting one event on top of another, one meaningless event on top of another, hoping it creates something beautiful. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for my life. And even better than that, Jesus will give us the strength to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. 
Remember it says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So there is a strength to fulfill God's purpose for your life, for my life, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. The strength that you and I need pours out of Jesus whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, so that you and I don't have to walk through life alone. Because of Jesus, you and I can walk eternally with God. We can receive from Him the strength that we need to live out the purpose that God has given us. So Philippians 4.13, the secret of contentment, I can do all this or I can do all things through Him who gives me strength, It's not trying to pump you about how awesome you are. Now, you may be awesome, but that's not what this verse is about. It's trying to remind you how good God is, that you can do all this through Him who gives me strength, that God has a purpose for your life, and that through Jesus, He'll give you the strength to accomplish that purpose, which means you and I can hold on during times of adversity, which means we can keep walking, keep following Jesus, even when things aren't going right. Keep walking on God's path, even if nobody is cheering you on. And sometimes that may well happen. You will walk on God's path, but no one is cheering you on to do it. You can do all this through Him who gives you strength. Jumping down to verse 18, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus. Did I say that right, Katie? I guess. From Epaphroditus, by the way, expectant parents take note, good Bible name. (laughs) I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So I thought as, as we run, wind down rooted in joy, as we move more into the like start, start contributing your, your rooted commitments, this would be a good verse to focus on for a minute. Because for some of us, giving generously, giving joyfully to God's work in the world is like a reflex. We do it reflexively. For some of us, rooted has been the first time or the first time in a long time that we've taken a big step in following Jesus in the financial area of life. And for some of us, this is a scary thing, or we don't much like it because we've been jaded by bad experiences in the past, whether ours or somebody else's. Most of us are a mix of all that. So I want to say to everyone in the congregation, whatever sort of financial step you're able to take joyfully and in faith, Your gifts are, look at the scripture here, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Those are phrases used to describe worship. In other words, giving is a form of worship. Giving your time is a form of worship. Giving your money is a form of worship worship. And in fact, if you think about it, time and money are pretty closely linked because where do you get money from? You give time to somebody. But giving, the ministry, giving is an act of worship. 
Giving time, giving money is an act of worship because giving says God's work is more important than what I want. So I'm entrusting this time or I'm entrusting this money back to God. God gave it to me in the first place. God is the giver of all good things and I'm entrusting some of it back to God for whatever use he has for it. Sometimes we think, man, God doesn't need this time and money nearly as much as I do. And it can be a scary step. And so Paul reminds us that God's going to provide for what we need. God's going to meet our needs, and he's going to meet it through the, his riches in Christ Jesus. Through the riches of Christ Jesus, God is going to provide for what we need. Through Jesus' strength, he's going to empower us to live out the purpose he has for our lives. Paul is ending Philippians by trying to emphasize, emphasize, emphasize that his joy comes from knowing I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That whatever needs I have, I believe they're going to be supplied through the glorious riches that God has in Jesus. Do you think the church family in Philippi had any idea how God would use their generosity? They took up a collection and sent it to a friend of theirs who was in jail. And here we are, millennia later and half a world away, studying the letter that he wrote to them. Being open to change our lives because of this letter that Paul wrote to them. Could they have ever, like, fathomed this? Remember, we talked about the Philippian church. You had the jailer and his family. You had the wealthy uh, businesswoman and her family. And you had the enslaved woman. Those are the people we know were in the Philippian church. So they're taking up this collection. The enslaved woman gives what very little she has. Does she have any idea we'll be sitting in this gym studying the book that was the letter that came back to them? Look at what God can do. Look at what God can do through the steps of people. Sometimes we get so caught up in God's purpose for our lives, and how do I find and follow and be about God's purpose for our lives? Because it's this huge thing. When you look at people who actually found God's purpose for their lives, generally they just took steps consistent with who they knew God wanted them to be. They took steps, little steps, big steps. They took steps consistent with who they knew God wanted them to be. And they left the results in the hands of Jesus. They left the actual results into the strength and glorious generosity of Jesus. And their part was to take steps consistent with whom God was asking them to be. And if you and I will be willing to do that, who knows how Jesus will take all those little gifts and pile them up together and create something beautiful. The question I want to leave you with is this from this last iteration of Rooted in Joy. Think of an area of life where walking on God's path has gotten hard. 
Think of an area of life where walking on God's path has gotten hard. Where are you turning for strength and provision? Where are you turning for strength and provision? And this morning, my invitation to you is turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus Christ who lived, who died, who resurrected, who is available to you today. He is available to give you the strength that you need to provide for you. And exactly what you need, he may be able to articulate it better than you can. He is available to you if only you and I will depend upon him. So in a minute, I'm going to ask Dr. Bud to come and lead us in a time of prayer and reflection and communion, which is an invitation to come and trust in Jesus for your strength and your provision. Before I do that, when we read most letters of the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, there's almost like a double ending. For instance, verse 20, what, where Katie ended earlier, ends with the word amen. So you figure, okay, that's the end of the letter, amen. There's actually three more verses after the word amen. Here's what the last three verses say. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. There's a second amen. Why is there a second ending? What happened here? Well, as best we can tell, Paul, in all likelihood, had someone else physically writing down his letters because of his own frailty, perhaps, or because of a vision problem that he had. This is very common in the ancient world, and in all likelihood, he's under house arrest in Rome. In all likelihood, someone else was physically writing down the letter. But then, in Paul's letters, as best we can tell, at the very end, he would, grab the pen, he would grab the pen, and he would write like a little postscript in his own handwriting. In fact, in one verse, in one book of the Bible, he, he makes fun of how bad his handwriting is. This is one of the most hopeful verses of the Bible to me. So, after all the deep substance of the letter after the, the, the words that people would write commentaries on and debate and disagree about and explain in papers and write on their shoes, after all the substance of the letter is over, Paul grabs the pen and says, I want to write the most important thing, which is, I really love you guys, and I want nothing more than for you to experience the grace of Jesus. I think the end of Paul's letters are the best part. You won't find many papers written on them. So we're kind of at the end of the substance of rooted in joy. And now I want to just grab the pen and write the most important part. Which is to say, I really love you guys, and I want nothing more than for you to experience the grace of Jesus. So rooted has been a good stretch for our church family. I've gotten to watch folks who, who instinctively respond in generosity. 
I've gotten to watch folks who this is the first time or the first time in a long time you've taken a step in this area of life. I know some of us have made commitments to this that scare us. And I think in retrospect, years from now, we'll look back and say, why were we so scared by that? But that's the whole glorious riches thing. The, the, the people who are like experts on this stuff, which is not a, a title I want to sign up for anytime soon, uh, but they tell us for a congregation our size, we should probably expect another 30 to 50 commitment cards to come in in October. This may well be some of y'all. For, for various valid reasons, you haven't yet gotten to turn in your uh, commitment card for Rooted. That's fine. That's great. We're expecting about 30 to 50 more to come in in October. So I may have to give you an update again in like a month or two, but I want to give you a sense of where we are, where we are right now. The, the last uh, commitment card we got, like at the end of the week, um, the person who turned it in basically said, uh, this isn't much, but I don't want to, I, I want to be part of this sort of historic moment. I summed it up pretty well, summed it up pretty well. My last notes here before I tell you kind of where we are, what, the number I'm about to tell you does not include the surpluses, the elders, the budget surpluses we've been setting aside. Those are going to go more to the building than the land. And then the very last thing I will say is that I had not appreciated how far the number zero was from the number three million until like a few weeks ago. There's a lot of distance between those two numbers. You think as a math major, like at Davidson, that would be one of the introductory classes, how far? <laughs> it's not. That was assumed knowledge, falsely assumed knowledge. So, here we are, and then we will have a, a chance for uh, communion. To date, so through the end of September, anticipating those 30 to 50 additionals coming in in October, we have received uh, pledges and contributions to the total of, do y'all really want to know this? Should we just do communion? <laughs> 2,900,000. $646. So, if those last 30 to 50 people can come up with $30,000, we're going to be there. In fact, and I hope what you hear in all this is, as we work together, beautiful things happen. Uh, as you and I are able to be consistent in uh, giving our contributions we've pledged, as some of us are even able to be aggressive in that, and then as new, some of us who haven't gotten to contribute or com commit yet can step in and make a commitment, not only are we going to be able to, we, we have the month, we, we, we will be able to buy the land. We'll be able to do the upfront architectural work, and then we'll be able to set some money aside for the building part which we'll all get to talk about here in a few years, but we'll be able to set some preliminary money aside for that so there's not quite as much that we have to talk about here in a few years. As Paul ends Philippians by saying, to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Dr. Bud, lead us into communion. We as a people of God have a 